It's good to be here tonight and enjoyed all the good singing, the good fellowship, and just enjoying being in God's house. There's so many other places today that uh, people seem to want to be at uh, other than church, and I'm glad that I'm in church tonight. We don't want to be anywhere else except heaven. And uh, I told you this morning what I was planning on preaching tonight, and I, I was afraid all day the Lord was going to change it, but I believe He's going to allow me to preach it. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, and I'm going to read verses 17 through 21 to begin with, and then we'll uh, we'll be covering uh, the rest of the chapter throughout this uh, this message. But we'll start out with 1 Kings 17 or 18, starting with verse 17. 1 Kings 18, starting with 17, down through 21. And here the Bible says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he the trouble of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel, and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Father, we thank you so much for the reading of your word tonight. I'm praying now that you help me preach for just a little while. God, that uh, we'll do a mighty work in our hearts tonight through your precious word. Lord, help those tonight that needs help. And Lord, May you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we pick back up after a little interlude. Uh, this morning we left off after the Lord had nourished him by the brook Cherith and fed him by ravens and then instructed him to go to that widow's house where she would nourish him. Uh, so all that happens in between where we left off this morning and where we pick up tonight. Three years it actually has passed uh, from that time point. So they've been in a drought for about three, three and a half years at this point in time uh, in Israel's history. And so uh, if you remember before this, uh, Elijah just dropped out of nowhere, right into the pages of the Bible, not heard of him before that time that we read about this morning. And dropped in and just got in Ahab's face and told him, look, it ain't going to rain, it's not going to be due. Until I say so, and walks out. And so that's what's happened while he's been gone three years. It's become a mighty famine, a drought, a bad one. And uh, so the first thing we find, starting here in 18 and 17, Kings 8, uh, 1 Kings 18 and 17, it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubled Israel? Now, we didn't read it tonight, but just before this, Obadiah's back on the scene. He's hit a hundred men that didn't bow to Baal. And, uh, anyway, and, and they made the agreement. He would, he would tell uh, Ahab that Elijah's here and all that. And so now it comes there. They meet. They finally, I can see it. It's kind of like one of those westerns, you know, when you got the two guys and they, they come down the middle of the street and they'll around and, and they meet face to face right before they, they have a, a, a draw. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's what's happened. And Ahab, King Ahab, starts things off trying to intimidate, intimidate Elijah. And he accuses him of being a troubler. The troubler of Israel, he calls him. And my, how the pot's calling the kettle black. Huh? Mm-hmm. And this just goes to show you, this man's had over three years now to, to turn his heart around, to turn this kingdom around. Three years, he could have turned the kingdom around. Yeah. He could have 
uh, brought down all those altars to Baal. He could have got all that nasty stuff, those groves they built to to uh, to worship uh, Ash Ashtera. They have those Asherah poles out there that they do this lewd and, and wicked uh, type of worship to. And he had plenty of time to get rid of all this, turn his heart back to God, turn the nation of Israel back to God. And what does he do? He blames it on the prophet of God. Oh, it wasn't nothing he did. It's all the prophet. He's the troubler. You're the ones caused all this trouble for me, is, is what he's saying. And look at verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that you, ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. So here he is, Elijah, he's always in somebody's face, and he's not holding back, no holds barred, he's the prophet God, looks him square in the face and says, it's not me, Buster, you're the one that's causing all the trouble here. You and your father, it started with his dad, his dad was evil too, and so uh, he's done more uh, evil in the eyes of God than anybody before him, any king before him, so it's gotten worse and worse, and so... Uh, he gets right in his face and tells him it's not it's not uh, him causing it, it's it's you. And he says that you've been worshiping Baal. Or Balaam, it says right here. Balaam's the plural form of Baal. And uh, Baal simply means Lord, is, is the meaning of it. It's a Canaanite, the Canaanite god. The, uh, they, they call him the sun god and, and the, the god of storms. And they worship him like the sun, and his symbol is a lightning bolt. And that's going to, that's going to come into play here in a little bit. But the symbol for uh, Baal is a, a lightning bolt. That's what they would draw to symbolize him. And so uh, uh, supposedly Baal, this false god, his father was El, the chief god. I'm talking the little G god, not the god, Lord God of heaven. But the little G god is El, called the chief god. And his mother supposedly was Asherah. Now I mentioned the Asherah poles they would, they would put up in the ground and worship around those things in a lewd manner. Well, the worship of Baal was at its highest point during this period of time right here, during the reign of Ahab. He had made it to the number one thing on his list to do. Married a, uh, a daughter of, a, of a, a, a priest to Baal. And so of all things, and then of course they built the, uh, the altars and all that in the, in the land of Egypt, Israel. And so... Uh, with the worship of Baal being its highest point, we read over in 1 Kings 16, we read it this morning, uh, where it says that Ahab took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal. So the king himself is serving Baal along with his wicked wife and worshiped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. So, you know, he's building houses for this false god. And this goes right into the face of the Lord God Jehovah. He's defying everything that he can to him. And verse 33, and of Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. So this grove, again, was that, that nasty worship with the, the poles. Now look back in our opening text, 1 Kings 18 and 19. The Bible says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. Uh, it's funny that Elijah seems to be the man in charge right here, not the king. Uh, you would think if anybody's going to be given orders, it'd be Ahab, the Arab. But no, it's not him. It's Elijah the prophet. He's getting out, he's shouting out instructions for the king. You go gather all these people, these men of Israel, these prophets of Baal and, and the 
and, the, and all this and uh, the grove and uh, the next verse it says uh, verse 20 so Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together under Mount Carmel and Elijah came unto all the people and said how long halt ye between two opinions if you underline things in your Bible underline that little phrase right there how long halt ye between two opinions that's the title of the message by the way he goes on to say, If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. How embarrassing. Can you imagine claiming to be children of God? If somebody comes to you and calls you out on your sin, and you've got nothing to say. They give you the choice to turn from your wickedness and your sin and turn to God and turn away from that. And what do you do? You sit there like an old knock on a log. Not going to say nothing. Why? Because they've been caught red-handed. They're in their sin and there's nothing they can do about it. Dead silence. I want you to get the picture here of these people. They're given completely over into idolatry, yet they're still claiming to be children of God. They're playing two parts. They're like a stage actor. Uh, who, the guy that comes on the TV and says, I'm not a real doctor, but I play one on TV. That's what these guys are. I'm not a real Christian, but I play one when I go to church. That, that's what we have a lot today uh, right there. And so what these people have done, they're straddling the fence. Have I ever told you the story when I, when I straddled the electric fence? I have, okay. Well, I'll tell again because uh, I like it. But me and my papa, he was about five foot six and weighed about 90 pounds, strong as an ox, and I followed him around all, all over the place when I was just a little kid. And he was going up, he had cow pastures, and they had barbed wire, or, or uh, electric fences in some places, barbed wire in some places. But the electric fence was up there on top of the hill, and we get up to that thing, and, and he just steps over it, and gets over on the other side, no problem. I said, well, if he can do it, I can do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I grabbed the, the metal pole and stepped over it and sat right on top of that thing. And I went for the ride of my life. <laughs> and by the time I fell off and was laying there, all I could hear was my grandfather going, <laughs> shocked you, didn't it? That hurt. I remember him saying that. It hurt, didn't it? Look, these people are straddling the fence. And they're going to get hurt. There's going to be a problem comes out of this if they don't get over on the right side. And so you'll find backslidden Christians, they'll, when you put them in a corner and confront them about their wicked ways, they don't have much to say. They know they're wrong, and it's a sad story, and, and they're in sad shape, but look, people let themselves get into that. And it doesn't take long, by the way. You may be sitting here thinking, oh, I go to church every time the door is open. Well, don't go a couple of times and see what happens. It gets harder and harder to go the next time. And that's usually what happens when somebody gets out of church, starts backsliding, they miss a service, and then they start thinking, well, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it tonight, and they won't be able to make it next time, and then, oh, Wednesdays, I can't do that anymore, and I, no, I can't make it the next Sunday. Before you know it, you're out of church. You're a backslider. You're one of them, everybody in church going, what, what in the world's happened to them? Well, they used to be faithful. But that's what happens when you start backsliding. And that's what these people have done. They backslid way far away from God. And they're even gone as far as the worshiping false idols. They're worshiping sun gods and moon gods and, and uh, gods of, the, of the, the storm and thunder and, 
calling down lightning and all this, and worshiping all of this stuff. You know, we got people today worshiping nature now. What do you think Green Day is all about? Go oh, burn. We're trying to save the trees. Go save your tree. I'm going to going to open up one of them Aquanet hairspray things and spray it all over the place. Listen, the Lord's going to take care of this earth. I'm not concerned about it. We ought to be good stewards of what He's given us, but we don't go as far as worshiping this earth, and that's what's going on these days. That's why one of these days you won't be able to buy a car with a motor in it that runs on gasoline. Somebody's worshiping the truths. And so uh, these people have backslidden. It's shameful. It's disgraceful. And Elijah the prophet's called him out on it. And he says, hey, listen here. How long are you going to do this? How long are you going to haul between two opinions? Do you love God or do you love this false god, Baal? Which one is it? Because you can't do both. You can't serve God and mammon. It don't work that way. The Bible tells us that. You either love God or you don't love him. So get on the side that you really believe in. A lot of people, you ask them, you know, between what's right and wrong. And they may tell you, you know, why well, I believe this is right or I believe this is wrong. Why aren't you doing what's right then? Mm-hmm. You know, what about the difference between good and evil? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think we ought to do good. Well, why are you doing so much, so much evil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, are you for God or for the devil? Ain't nobody going to tell you they're for the devil unless they're one of those that claim to be a devil worshiper. Ain't no Christian or somebody that claims to be a Christian going to tell you they love the devil. But if they're out there doing the devil's things. And acting like the devil tells me they love the devil more than they love God. All right, let's go back to verse 22. I'm about to get riled up. 1 Kings 18 and 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord. (laughs) We're going to talk more about this in a minute. He's he's got this complex about him. Uh, But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullets and let them choose one bullet for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under and I'll dress the other bullet and lay it on wood and put no fire under and call you on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord L-O-R-D uppercase Lord God Jehovah and the God that answereth by fire let him be God and all the people answered and said it is well spoken and Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal choose you one bullet for yourselves and dress it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. I like how our King James makes sure it differentiates between the little G God and the uppercase big G God. And uh, here, so Elijah, he's he's letting them have all anything they want. Look, guys, there's a bunch of you. There's more of you. Do all this. Get it all ready. And you can go first. I don't care. And do your thing. And so, you know, Elijah, he's always thinking that he's the only man left on earth that, that worships God, that serves God. Do you feel like that sometimes? Sometimes it feels that way, don't it? You work in a workplace where there's a lot of people and very little or no Christians? Yeah. Sometimes you feel like you're the only Christian left. I'm the only one. I'm the only one in East Tennessee that still serves the Lord. We may feel that way, but that's not so. God has many people today. There's a lot of people that worship God and serve God and love God. Mm-hmm. And especially right here in East Tennessee. And so I'm glad of that. But uh, sometimes we get to feel that way because the world wants us to feel that way. Everything they're pushing today, all these agendas they're pushing, all this liberal stuff they're pushing, is to try to make us feel like we're the minority. We're not. We're not. We're just the ones that don't yell all the time. And so Elijah thinks he's the only man left there that loves God. And so he lets the prophets of Baal go first. 
And notice he says it loud enough so that everybody can hear him. It's no secret. He's not going to make this a secret. He don't want anybody to mistake that something, something fishy is going on, that uh, maybe he's not being fair, so he, he makes it all fair. Tells them to prepare that sacrifice and call upon their god, Baal, to send down fire and burn the sacrifice. All right, verse 26. And they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's talking, or he's pursuing, or he's on a journey. Or peradventure he sleepeth and must be awakened. <laughs> he's having a good time about this. These guys are dead serious here. These prophets of Baal are jumping up and down. They're screaming out loud, Oh, Baal, hear us! And it's going on and on and on. Elijah's looking at him. He's saying, these guys are crazy. And so he starts making fun of them and their God. He says, hey, yell louder, guys. Your God's went on vacation. He can't hear you. I believe he's over there sleeping somewhere. Wake him up. He's not, he's not responding. And so you know this is really getting them riled. Look at verse 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after the matter with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. I started to bring a bigger knife than my pocket knife to demonstrate, but I didn't, thank goodness. But uh, these guys now are so, they went so crazy they're taking knives and cutting themselves and bleeding and slinging it all over the place and screaming and jumping up and down and all this. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of a lot of this nonsense that we're seeing a lot of times on some of these church services that you see that claim to be uh, what claim to be for God, but it looks more like something demonic to me. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, all this uh, craziness that's going on. Uh, we'll, that, we'll preach that on another time, but. <laughs> These, these men have gotten uh, just beyond uh, crazy. And so uh, his mocking must have made it worse for them. And so, again, there's no voice, no regard. Verse 30. And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. So finally Elijah's had enough this foolishness. It's went on from morning to evening. It, it, all day long this has been going on. There's nothing but a bunch of bloody, uh, worn-out prophets of, of Baal laying around here around this altar, and they're probably all crying and going on. And so Elijah says, come on, people, come around me. I'm going to show you how this works. And so he starts rebuilding. Yes, rebuild that altar uh, for the Lord that no doubt was there at one time until it got tore down, probably yeah. by Ahab. And so he's had to rebuild the altar, and, and of course each one of those stones represents the tribes of Israel. We all know all that. That's what the Bible tells us. And so he rebuilds the altar, and not only that, but he digs this deep trench all the way around it. Well, that's, that's kind of strange, isn't it? And so uh, no doubt uh, this is this is really a... We, of all places in the Bible you'd like to go and see a point in time in history, wouldn't this be one of them? 
We need a lot to be planted somewhere on Mount Carmel, maybe in a deer stand. Look, look at that and see what's going on. That would be uh, something. But uh, Elijah is purposely showing that all of Israel needed to be united as one and one under the Lord God Jehovah. Verse 33. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Hold a minute. Wait a minute. I thought they were in a drought. Where are they, they going to get the water? Now I know that there's a there's a, a sea not too awful far from there, but it, it, they'd have to go down the mountain. They'd have to travel and go to the, the sea and collect water and, and come back up there and all that. I, I don't think that's where the water is going to come from. And the Bible doesn't mention there's a spring or a brook or a creek or anything running off Mount Carmel right there. And so... Uh, They've been in this drought all this time. Can you imagine the people standing there in disbelief at this request? What you mean? You mean you want us to pour out our precious water? I believe they were carrying their water with them. I believe they had those those water bags or, or uh, jars, uh, some kind that was holding their water, and they was protecting it. Wouldn't you protect your water if you were in a drought for three years? There wasn't any. You'd get every little bit you could, and you'd hold on to it, everything for your life. And I believe that's what they've done. They've all got their little bit of water. And so he's telling them to fill four barrels. Now, here in East Tennessee, a barrel is, is something like this. It's a big old thing, you know. That's the way we imagine a barrel. Well, that's not the kind of barrel that, that the Bible's talking about. It's more like a uh, more like a mason jar, an earthen vessel, a smaller jar. It's not a huge 55-gallon drum like we burn garbage in out in, in Corrington. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a kind of more like a jar, like you put uh, a quart of pickles in or something. And so he tells them to go and get this, this uh, water and pour it on the, on the sacrifice, on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to burn wood, I'm not going to pour water on it because it won't ever start. It won't ever get going. Uh, I have hard enough time getting a fire started with, if it's dry. Uh, but he tells them to wet this stuff down. And so uh, verse 34, it says, and he said, do it the second time. And they did it a second time. Oh, my goodness. I can only imagine at this point, these people now, they're just they're so astounded. They're going to go ahead and go through with it just to see what's going to happen. And so he wants them to pour more of this precious water on there. Surely Elijah has gone mad at this point. What other you know possibility could it be? And so reluctantly, and sure enough, they, they find enough water to fill four more jars and pour it on the sacrifice. And they stand back this time waiting and, uh, and probably nervous. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. Three times. You ever notice all the threes in the Bible? Bible numerology. You ever study on that? That's an interesting thing to do. I love looking at all the different numbers in the Bible and seeing you know, what, all they, uh, what all they mean. But we know that uh, three is a very important number in the Bible. And so here they are, uh, probably at their wit's end. Uh, all their water's probably gone. And he's having to do it a third time. And so they have to place their faith, their trust, and their obedience on God as well. If we're going to give up all of our water to pour on this sacrifice, then there better be a fire come down from heaven. Mm -hmm. Verse 35. And the water ran around about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. So it's a big sopping wet mess right there on that altar. Now, the key verses in this passage of Scripture are the next two. And it's the prayer that Elijah gives. Look at it. Verse 36. 
And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Do you notice the stark difference between his prayer and the prayer they offered up to Baal? Big, big difference. We know as Christians that God loves us and we love him and our hearts connect with him. And he wants us to, to tell him all things and, and to pray to him. And so his prayer is, is, is respectful. It, it's a holy prayer. It's one that recognizes God for who he is. These other men, as they're praying to Baal, they're just screaming, Burn him! Nothing holy about all that mess. But Elijah's prayer is solemn and it's direct. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to cut himself with knives or wallow around or stomp or scream or nothing. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. Can you imagine all the prophets of Baal's are standing there going, oh, you know, everyone, oh. And all the people, what did they do? They hit the ground. They know this is of God. Yeah. And what do they do? They recognize Him as such. What did they say? It says, they said, the Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the the God. Not a God. Not some God. He is the God. And I want you to know today that the Lord, He is still the God. There is no God above Him. There is no God before Him. There will be no God after Him. He's the God of all ages. He's the beginning and the end. The Alpha. The Omega. He is the God. It's the same God we worship today. Verse 40, things are going to get bad. Elijah said to them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Now, to us, we think, oh my goodness, that seems awful drastic. <laughs> Why would the Lord go through all that? Listen, God gave them a chance. They had chance after chance. In fact, they've had the last three years to turn their lives around and quit worshiping false gods. God directs his man to do this. They take them down there. And that brook that's been dry for three years is now going to run up to the top with blood to these false prophets. Verse 41. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. I love how Elijah's still doing all the orders. He's the one making all the commands. King sitting over there, he's probably out of his mind. All the prophets are, have been slain. He's there. He don't have any power up on that mountain at this point because that man of God's got the power because it comes straight from God. He's standing there don't know what to do and Elijah says, hey, get up from there. Get up there. You get something to eat. Get something to drink. Get you some energy because there's a sound of abundance of rain. Man, we got to get down off of here. So uh, verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and to drink 
And Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he set himself down upon the earth, and he put his face between his knees, and said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And he said, Go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. <laughs> this, I'm telling you, friends, if there's the Bible is so exciting. When you start reading this, this stuff, and this is history, this is real. This is real things that God's given us here. And he has empowered his man Elijah to gird up his loins and run so fast he outrun the, the horses of Ahab as they're trying to get to the city of Jezreel before everything floods. they got to get through that Jezreel Valley before it gets full of water because there's an abundance of rain, not just a little bit. It's not sprinkling outside, King. It's coming down. It's coming down hard. You better get home because it's going to get, going to get high. And man, I'll tell you what, this just excites me so much Amen. to see what God can do. God can still do this same thing today. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New. He's the God of the now. He's not just the God of the past. He's the same God. He's the same God that healed then. He's the same God that can heal now. He's the same God that saved then. He's the same God that will save now. And we're all saved the same way, by the way. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. God sent His Son here to die for us because He loved us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Mm -hmm. Call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved, the Bible says. All oh, the same God. I love it. I love Him. I love what He's given us. Friends, we've got so much freedom in the Lord. Now, there's no need to be bound down in the things of the Lord. He gives you freedom. We've got freedom. He gave us grace. And I love Him for it. Oh, listen, I, I know there's not been much in the, in the direction of a salvation message tonight, but I want you to know this God, this God that Elijah called down fire from heaven, the God, same God that caused rain to stop for three years, He's the same God that loves you, same God that loves me, same God that will save you, the same one that saved me, yeah. same one that will save your children and your grandchildren, and even those evil co-workers that you work with, that you think you're the only Christian there, He can save every one of them. Because he's that kind of God. He's got that kind of power. He's not a little G God. He's a big G God. All right, let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight thanking you so much for the message. Lord, I'm so excited tonight. I can't understand it. Lord, I appreciate the opportunity to come and preach, Lord, and to deliver your word, what you've given us. Lord, I'm praying today that I know your word's not going out and return void, God. It will go out and accomplish that what you please. And Lord, we're just praying that you get any kind of glory for it. Lord, you get everything for it. And Lord, I'm praying for those that's in this building tonight, those that are faithful. Lord, come into your house tonight to hear the word of God, the fellowship with other Christians. I pray that you give them strength and, and help them in their times of need. Lord, we pray for these requests that was made today, those that are struggling right now, sick, maybe in the hospital, and and, and having all these, these problems, God, we know that you're the God that can take care of it. Lord, if not healing, Lord, the comfort. Lord, we just want your will to be done. But God, you know our hearts tonight. We love to see them all healed. 
Lord, would we put it into your hands? Lord, if there's one here that needs help tonight, would you help them? Would they call upon your name, Lord, for help? May you be praised for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and put us up. You need to come and pray tonight. You come down. Page 161. 